Hi, welcome to the second episode of Bits of Berlin with Bodo and Tam. Hello. And today we are at the FU here in Berlin and talking with Lutz about robots. Hey, welcome to our lab. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So what are you doing in this lab? Uh, we are building robots, of course. What else? <laughs> uh, what kind of robots are they? They're humanoid shape. They Actually, they play soccer because it's... Uh, One way to build robots that can do stuff easily, like having driving robots or cars who work autonomously. But we want to focus on, on real-world problems. Like playing soccer? Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> good point. That's a totally good point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a problem, a real-world problem. Come on. Not for that Germans. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the idea is actually to... To be in an environment which is uh, not controlled, where the laws are defined, but not totally known. known. You do not know everything about your environment. Like, compared to, to playing chess, yeah. there the rules are pretty easy. The environment has finite states. So there are just a certain amount of combination on the chessboard probable, uh, uh, possible. Yeah. So you build human-shaped robots that play soccer with arms and legs and head and obviously the next one has two eyes. Yeah. Okay, and how, how big are they? Are they uh, uh, big enough to play against them? Well, I'm bigger. <laughs> they are they're 65 uh, centimeters tall from uh, sole to, to the top of the head. <clears throat> and they, are, they compare to, to like two-year-old children, which is actually a lie. According to the rules, they are uh, they have the uh, proportions of a two-year-old child, which, from my perspective, I, that's a lie, too, because I've seen children that young. <laughs> 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 that, that won't work. I think more or less a year. That will be more realistic. And I don't know two-year-old kids that play soccer. So. No, I don't either. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> And They weigh about four, four kilograms, 4.5 kilograms. So it's it's way different to actual children. What's the benefit of making them that size? Uh, you mean, well, it's uh, less beneficial to make them taller. That's actually the point. That um, moving things on your computer, this basically is a computer with, with motors, but uh, moving things are really hard. They're expensive and they are actually really weak. So compared to the, the density of, uh, in terms of mass versus force, uh, of a muscle versus the servo motors we have here, muscle is way more powerful. Mm -hmm. But do you need that much muscle to, to move around? Obviously you don't. That's yeah. why we built them so yeah. light. Yeah, exactly. And how many players are on the field? Do you have 11 robots playing against 11 robots? So it's four, four players against four. On the field, on the same match, uh, each ma each round lasts 20 minutes. So it's uh, 10 minutes each half time. And there's a five-minute break. And that's actually, we cannot control the robots at all. So they have a computer embedded. That's why I said earlier, they are basically computers with uh, motors. Yeah. Lots of motors. They have 20. And they're working completely autonomously. So we have that web camera, webcam I told earlier, I said earlier. And we have an IMU, an immersion 
measurement unit. That's a gyroscope, basically. So if you think about it, that's what your inner ear does. Yeah. It, it sends its wares down. Mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's the most complicated sensor we have developed ourselves in the robot. And it's it's so what it does is so easy, but it's so useful to have that. Yet still we just have two sensors actually in the robot and we want to do everything a human can do. So that's the tricky part actually. That's why I said real life problems. Mm, okay. We really we have a non controlled environment. The the field of play is actually symmetrical. So we have two yellow goals and everything else. The field lines are white, the the ground is green, as it is in proper soccer. Yeah. And since the goals are yellow both, consider yourself as a the most stupid human being you can think of and pop up in the white environment from the movie Matrix where <laughs> the where Morpheus and everyone uh, gets his weapons from and remove the weapons but put in a soccer field and now get the task, play on the opponent goal. Okay. This is actually how the robots work and this is how they perceive their environment. So how do they know which goal to try to score in? Uh, they, they kind of figure out at the beginning which one is the opponent's goal. This is usually the goal which is further away. Okay. So when they okay. when they enter the field, they enter the field on their own side and they see look right. Oh, there's a goal. And they look right, left. Oh, there's another goal. I hope that this goal is uh, further away. So I hope this is the opponent's goal. Okay, so they sort of set that condition in the beginning and then stick to it throughout the game. Hopefully, if yeah. everything goes as planned. Okay, and then you... And they basically control themselves. You have no external computer that navigates them they are completely on their themselves on the field correct okay and do they talk to each other for for tactics or something like that uh we're working on that that it's actually going to be tactics uh but they they talk to each other of course they use wi-fi okay and they they just use broadcast wi-fi so uh every player receives the messages from every other player we're working on them to uh, have them develop strategies and this is actually really interesting about how you can achieve that because humans have a funny way of perceiving the environment so when i when i enter a room i haven't been before yet i instantly know where i am inside so i can locate myself in that room in that unknown room yeah. and it takes less than a second if i turn myself like 300 <laughs> 360 degrees in that room and uh, leave it and like an hour later I get a picture which was taken from a perspective I haven't observed myself when I was in that room I can still say that that picture was taken at that particular point mm -hmm. yeah. I cannot say where it was uh, uh, taken precisely but more or less about a meter I can say yeah I was taken at that edge I, it's fine this is what we actually want to do with the robots and this is the the biggest gap between what robots can actually do and what, what humans can do. And for humans, it's so intuitive. Like, you enter that room, you know where you are. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and this is what, uh, what happens quite frequently. People come here in the lab and they, they look at the robots and say, why does the ro be robot behave so stupidly? And they're completely right. But the point is actually, <laughs> the robots, they have a very limited field of view. So imagine that you look through a tube and the opening angle of that tube is like, 70 degrees from left to right yeah. or from diagonal actually actually so just uh, 
Yeah, think about perceiving your entire world from the perspective of, of your smartphone camera. That's pretty similar. Yeah. And nothing else. So you don't have any feeling of your own body, or very limited at least. Yeah. And try the same thing again. Enter a room, look around, and then leave the room, get a picture taken from a different camera, mm-hmm. and compare that with the pictures you took with the camera while you've been inside. It's really tricky. But this is how the robots work. Yeah. So that's actually why we uh, chose human robots and why we built them the way they are. It's not the answer to the question why we actually make them play soccer. I think that's it's just arbitrary. They have to do something. Yeah. Right? In 1996, a, a computer actually bet a uh, the chess champion, the world chess champion, uh, in chess, obviously. There was the time when when people thought, yeah, we need a bigger challenge challenge for robots or for machines at least. And they said, yeah, why not soccer? Soccer is popular. Soccer is... Yeah, I think that's it. It's popular. (laughs) (laughs) But also, I mean, to play chess against a human being, a computer doesn't have to look like a human being. It can just be a machine of some kind. But in order to play soccer, you have to have sort of human capabilities. Well, you have to be able to fulfill certain things like kicking a ball and move. Mm -hmm. You do not have to be human-shaped per se. Why then do you actually make them human-shaped if you don't actually have to be human-shaped to play soccer? Um, I I didn't choose that actually. When I I started joining the team, when I joined the team, uh, I just accepted it. (laughs) This is a... Yeah, unfortunately, the people listening to the podcast the podcast cannot cannot see it. But I hold up a, a uh, former robot. This is how the Freie Universität joined the RoboCup. Uh, this is a small size robot. It's wheeled. It has a small mechanism uh, to kick kick a ball, and it has certain colors on its uh, top to be easily track trackable with a camera. So this robot is not autonomous. Okay. This is uh, remote controlled by a central computer, but that computer is basically the autonomous machine behind the entire team. Yeah. So uh, it's still robots competing against each other, um, but they are wheeled. Mm-hmm. And this is how the uh, Freie Universität got into the RoboCup. Then they started building bigger robots. They're still wheeled. They are uh, in the mid-sized league. They're actually pretty dangerous. If you play against them and they bump into you, it hurts quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so there are different leagues with different kind of robots? Yeah. Okay, so you, the obvious two leagues I, I can come up with is wheeled and humanoid. Are there other kind of properties for, for different, different leagues? The, even the wheeled and humanoid leagues are, uh, sev- uh, they are. They have subgroups. Subgroups. Even the wheeled and humanoid leagues have subgroups. Uh, in the humanoid leagues, there are the standard platform league. They have the same robot, uh, for everyone. So they are, they're even not allowed to modify that robot. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, those are the white cute robots, which are very popular when you see images about the Robocop. Robocop. Yeah. They're cute, you have to admit. <laughs> and uh, then you have the uh, similar-sized kid-sized league. That's where we compete in. We are slightly taller, usually. 
and slightly lighter. <laughs> we can modify the robot ourselves. So basically, we have to build them ourselves. We have this. We we built the robots ourselves. Of course, we designed them ourselves. Uh, pretty much everything except for certain uh, points of the electronics. The main computer is a stock part. Thanks to everyone who owns a smartphone or who bought a smartphone in the recent, most recent years. Thank you. Because right. the development of the mobile processors really helped us a lot. Yeah. With yeah. a quad-core processor inside this small robot. And it's insane. So we have a huge amount of processing power now. This is the greatest difference between the standard platform league. Standard platform league, they have the processor the manufacturer gave them. And we can put in everything that fits inside the robot. So we're working on getting more <laughs> and adding more and more because there's certain problems in robots you can really uh, fight against with more processing power. Mm -hmm. and are there any limitations to the processing power? Nope. Okay, so you can just cramp in whatever fits into this thing. Yeah, but that's actually a quite quite tough limitation. Okay. Uh, then there, there are further, further leaks sub-leagues or subgroups of the humanoid league. They are the uh, teen-sized robots. They are even taller than uh, kid-sized robots. Kid-sized is uh, 30 to 90 centimeters. Teen-sized is uh, 80 to 140? 80 to 140 centimeters. And then there's the adult-sized league. The adult-sized league goes from 140 to 180 centimeters, I think. 130 to 100, 130 to 180 centimeters. Mm -hmm. So actually, there's no real upper limit, but they, it's unrealistic to build a robot which is taller because, as I stated earlier, the, the amount of force, the, the motors are actually the problem. Yeah. The amount of force you need to, uh, actuate the motor, the robot is, um, proportional to the square of the robot's height. This is what, Everyone says it's not entirely true, but it's true as long as you want to have the robot to stand up on its own. Mm -hmm. If you just want to have the robot walk, it's easier, but uh, it's still tricky. So nevertheless, you need really strong motors. So just compare the amount of force you can apply with your index finger to yourself, for example. Hold yourself your entire body with your index finger on a bar. That works. Yeah. Or just in case, use two index fingers. I divide that by two. <laughs> <laughs> that works. <laughs> it's still, it's just an amount of, of force you can apply. And this yeah. is really a little thing of your body. And motors usually are attached to the, to the actuator they want to move. So in this case, the finger. If you want to have a movable finger, I have the motor inside the finger. And to get a motor that strong to the finger, I need a really big motor. Yeah. So um, motors are a trouble, troublesome thing. Do you have limitations on the motors? So if you find a really, really strong one? Then I would buy them. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this is, this is not really realistic. I mean, we have uh, six robots, six human-shaped robots. They have 20, 20 motors at the moment. Yeah. And those motors are quite forceful okay consider them as really strong uh they cost like 260 euros each okay that's so we have six robots 20 robots 20 20 motors each mm. uh, it's just 
like a small car each robot and not a new car <laughs> but still a car yeah. <laughs> no um uh if we want to uh, go to a new platform of servo motors that's quite a lot of money we're talking yeah. about so it's not really realistic that we're going to do that there's not really a competitor of uh, servo motors uh, at the moment to offers fa uh, faster and stronger servo motors but that's actually the reason why we have them okay can you explain a little bit what RoboCup is and the ultimate goal of it? The ultimate goal of RoboCup is actually to uh, have a successor of that challenge, how humans can be beaten by machines. What we have with the chess machine, who is really good at playing chess, now we want to build machines who can interact with the environment better than we can. And the official goal, they changed the, the term for that. They said... Uh, we want to beat the human FIFA champion with robots in the mid 21st century. Okay. That's the official. Okay. And well, I'm now in this team for about four years and I enjoy it a lot because it's not really about soccer what we do. It's more or less about uh, how the fact do humans perceive their environment. Mm hmm. How can they do all these incredible things? And you start thinking about the everyday life in a way, in a different way. Like how you navigate, how you move. It's even incredible if, I, if I'm on the subway station and I just bump into someone else. That happens quite often. Yeah. That person usually does not fall over. Mm. So the, the knowledge about how your body behaves, how physics work which is really embedded into your brain, and it's just uh, used to create a counter-movement which makes you not fall over. And there's no actual consciousness involved in that procedure. So this is, this is really great. And this is actually how the, the big difference between how robots work and how we work. Uh, when, you, when you are in that team, you really start sensing that differences. So if the robots at the moment bump into each other, what happens? They sort of try to stabilize, right? But Yeah, then they start fighting about each other. <laughs> <laughs> like they bump into each other and uh usually one robot falls over. Okay. Or the they communicate, Hi, hey, I'm I'm here, I get the ball, so it's more useful if I'm the striker and you are the defender mm -hmm. or the supporter. That's the kind of strategy they already communicate with. But it's really rudimentary. So they don't really use their common mind, the hive mind. They're robots. They can have that uh, to create a perfect strategy to to solve the problem of the current game they play. What can I do? What would happen if I do that? And this is actually the uh, closing for the that the that behavior I I see when I bump into someone else. They they don't think about it, but they try out. If I stretch my arm that way, would I improve my situation or not? And anyway, how they do it, it works. They don't fall over. Mm -hmm. Either way, they try in their mind or they try uh, in real life. This is usually what we what you do when you are a child. Yeah, you try in real life. You bump into things. You fall over. You fall over a lot. I did, and it improves. If I could, and I would give the robots. Uh, 
as much uh, processing power as we have as a child, I think they might be capable of being similar smart than we are. They're quite hard. They can't really move as good as we can since they have very limited uh, degrees of freedom. They have just 20 motors. Um, And you have that aspect of body knowledge and body intelligence. It's a fancy word which actually doesn't mean anything, but it it, uh, reflects to a a sentence someone smart said once, like, if you're capable of manipulating the entropy, entropy of your environment at a future time, that's actually the sentence. You are smart. It's something you can use as a measurement to compare smart systems. And not having certain degrees of freedom makes you less smart. It's as hard as that. Mm. Yeah. But still, you compare it to a stone. It's a, <laughs> it's a, yeah, you laugh. But still, it's a, it's a way of measurement intelligence which you can apply to everything, yeah. including stones. So this is what I actually like about that comparison. Uh, so our robots are smarter than stones, yeah. <laughs> it's a great tagline. <laughs> <laughs> so how does your robot learn then? A baby learns by try and error? A, yeah, good point. Um, our robots, at the moment, they do not really learn. I, uh, they used to improve uh, their walking. So for learning, you need uh, certain, certain things like uh, an input. So a, a feedback or reward or just something that tells you, yeah, that was good or yeah, that wasn't good. And you need to be able to perform a certain action. Walking is a good example because we have we have just two sensors embedded, like the IMU where it's down and the IMU is embedded in the torso. So we know the uh, orientation of the torso in the world. And the actions are the walking itself. Yeah. So what the robot did was it had a basic knowledge about walking, like putting one foot in front of the other. That pretty much sums it up, how it works. And uh, then tried different things, like move the foot to the right a bit during its flight time or in the touchdown phase, be a bit more bumpy. It tried all that out and evaluated that by the impact it has on the stability of the torso. Yeah. by the gyro- gyroscope and improved its walking. It worked. It worked quite well. But a, a child has way more sensory input. A child knows the the strength of the foot bumping to the ground and it even knows the uh, the material the ground is made of. Yeah. And this is all every this is all the stuff that influences the learning of the child. That's it's true. a good thing that you cannot ch- turn off the child because you would remove <laughs> all that input. <laughs> but aren't there sensors in the robot's feet as well? I remember something like it would only work on carpet or if it's on a different type of... We removed those kind of sensors. We ah, had okay. tactile sensors in the feet. Those were actually load cells, so-called. Um, we took them from scales, kitchen scales. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had like a hundred of them and... Uh, it's actually really intuitive to use scales in robots' feet to measure weights because that's what scales do and that's what humans do uh, if you look at it from the first point. But scales are really sensitive to vibrations. Mm-hmm. And what humans can do, we have a very precise uh, sensing of the time when our feet foot hits the ground. Yeah, I can say that in, immediately when I touch it, 
I know it. Mm -hmm. This is what this is the piece of information we in, the piece of information we really need in the robots. But this is the information you don't get from the scales. You get a precise weight. But if you if you really look at the signals the scales give you, they're not really precise. <laughs> but they give you some kind of weight, but not a time. We want to have uh, a similar capability of sensing stuff yeah. on the feet. So mm -hmm. we want to sense when did I hit the button uh, the ground? When? Uh, how does it feel? So there must be a certain property of my environment below my feet. Uh, and then there's this thing with the white. This is not really compatible to the other two. So at least we have no idea how to, to figure out how that works, but we can compensate that with software since we can have a physics simulator evaluating the robot that kind of compensates the pressure of the, the feet. And it works completely different than how humans perceive the environment on the feet. It's with uh, the dielectric moment. But I mean, feet are really important in football anyway. I mean, you kick a ball, right? So does the robot know when it's actually touched the ball and it's kicked it? Can it sense something like that? Or is that a... How does that work? Um, not in a tactile way. Mm -hmm. It could look at the ball, obviously. Mm -hmm. This is actually how it works at the moment. Okay. But since... Uh, like it sees it coming towards it and then it sees it going away again? That's how it knows it's kicked it? Or how do you mean? Uh... We, we can really estimate the position of the ball when the ball is close to us and we look at it quite well. Mm -hmm. And we can even estimate that position relative to a foot quite well in terms of uh, less than a centimeter precision. So we know pretty precisely when we hit the ball. But uh, the problem is actually, was the ball at that position in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. This is the struggle we have all the time. It could be anything. It could be a hand, for example. Ah, Hands okay. are, yeah, you love but the, the balls we use. Like, they're orange. They're somewhat skin color. Uh, yeah, the robots love kicking against them. So it's hard. But usually, yeah, the robot looks at the ball, sees the ball. Hey, ball, I want to kick you. <laughs> and approaches the ball. Approaches the ball actually in a way to uh, ar arrive at the ball at, in an angle at a position where it can actually really manipulate the ball's position best. And yeah, the, what we work really work on is um, that the ball is properly moved. At the moment, we just bump against it because it can't really kick because of the uh, leg construction. We used to be able to do that. Do you have any other competitions coming up this year, or is competition season over? For us, the competition season is over, but today uh, the actual RoboCup started. Really? Started today? Yeah. In Brazil, though, hey? Yeah. Yeah, okay. We had two competitions this year. We went to the German Open, and we went to the Iron Open. We won both. Nice. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. I thought when I came in, you guys had more trophies on the wall than before. Thank you. It's good to win, but <laughs> it is always the but. It's overrated. Okay. It's completely overrated. Why? Because it's you don't win because you have the best robot or something. You just say usually you just have a very small aspect that worked well, and that aspect is something you didn't think about in the first place mm. before you came to the competition. It just turned out to work well. 
Okay. So if you have a very good walker, it's good. It's good to have that. But everything else is uh, interesting as well. Mm. And, uh, for example, when we went to Iron Open, I actually didn't feel wi like winning it because the team we played against in the finals, they had really great robots. Mm -hmm. The way they walked was incredible. The way they localized themselves in the uh, field was incredible as well. So they had like everything they needed to, to play properly. Mm -hmm. And they should have actually beaten us. But uh, then the hardware strike, that was really unfortunate for them. And they didn't approach the ball properly. The time they spent to approach the ball, though they were really fast and walking, was even longer than the time we needed. It's like we walked uh, like two thirds of their speed. Mm -hmm. We steered already to the angle we want to kick at when we approached. Yeah. Those small things are what makes you win. And this is not really justifying your winning. Mm -hmm. So winning is overrated. <clears throat> Now, do you. Have you seen something from the other robots you want to copy or how does that work? Do you in introduce new ideas and other competitors copy the ideas and improve them? Well, copying is a hard word. Uh, we talk about it quite freely. Okay, you get inspired by them. <laughs> yeah, if you Use any tool you like. Uh, yeah, well, that's actually how it works. Yeah, of course. We talk about stuff and usually people develop stuff and they're really excited about it. Yeah, of about course. It. And then they talk about it, like, hey, and other people were like, yeah, that makes perfectly sense. I want to have that too. And then they built it just themselves. So you guys share your knowledge freely at the competitions. It's not like hiding what you're doing so other no, people can't. No, that would can. be terrible. Yeah. Okay. You share the code as well? Uh, we do. Wow. And even Great. hardware. Do you, did you have any expectations about the robots? This is something I really love talking about. Something similar, similar to that? With actually with less motors, I didn't know that there are so many motors in that thing. That was really impressive to have th that many motors in them. And I struggled writing code for two stepping motors in the beginning of the 90s, and then seeing something like that complicated, it's really interesting to to imagine how hard it must be to to sync all the motors to actually walk. So you're pleasantly surprised. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That sounds like a good place to end the podcast. Yeah, it was nice having you here. Yeah, thank you for for having us. Thank you for joining cool. us. Yeah. So now it's time for the events section of our podcast. And Bodo, take it away. So the first event is the Morgan Inn in, on Thursday. The Morgan Inn is a special user group that takes place at 8.30 in the morning. So if you don't have time in the late afternoon, you can totally go there and listen to a talk from Lucas about domain-driven design and NoiseQL. And after that, you can go to the Euroject. That's the Euroject conf for the Eurocamp. And after that, you can go to the Eurocamp, which is on the whole weekend from Friday on to Sunday, if you have a ticket. Yeah. And if you don't have a ticket, feel free to go to the activities page of the Eurocamp. There are a few activities that you can do without the ticket. Yeah, Eurocamp's going to be really cool this year. We're both going. I'm totally excited for it. 
And if you can't go to Eurocamp and none of the activities pique your interest, then we suggest checking out the Raspberry Jam Berlin. It's happening on August 2nd at 12 o'clock until 6 o'clock, and it's at Co-op on the third floor. I was at the Raspberry Jam last uh, month, and it was a lot of fun, and um, yeah, you're going to have a great time if you go there. And if you want to do some reading this week, then we suggest going to teams.railsgirlsummerofcode.org. And it's the list of all of the team blogs of all of the teams participating in the Rails Girls Summer of Code this year. And all of the teams update their blogs regularly and you can read all about what they're learning and all the adventures they're having in their coding. So we suggest doing that as well. We also suggest that you follow us on Twitter. We're at Bits of Berlin. And you can email us what you think about the podcast, mail at bitsofberlin.org. They can rate us on iTunes. Yeah, yeah. And you can follow us on SoundCloud. Yeah, do all the social things. And go on, go to our webpage. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.